Today I will be speaking to you about a set of people that God blesses called the peacemakers. And in preparation for this message, I looked up the United Nations current peacekeeping efforts all around the world. And no matter what your opinions of the United Nations are, I think what we can agree that their peacekeeping endeavors are usually very noble and well-intentioned. I was impressed by the range and the scope of the operations they have active in the world today. As 124 nations have contributed personnel to 15 active peacekeeping missions. And that includes 83,000 military troops, 12,000 police officers, and 17,000 civilians and volunteers. Quite the workforce. And these people work to help countries that are torn by conflict to, to create conditions for lasting peace in their nations in a huge variety of ways. All kinds of things they do. They, they seek to maintain peace and security, protect civilians, uh, their human rights, assisting with political processes, elections, judicial reform, training law enforcement, disarming, reintegrating violent combatants, supporting the return of displaced refugees, and a whole bunch more. But I was particularly struck by about a decade-old promotional video that was online narrated by George Clooney. The actor, George Clooney, on the video he says this, Peace is not just a colored ribbon. It's more than a wristband or a t-shirt. It's not just a donation or a 5K race. It's not just a folk song or a white dove. And peace is certainly more than a celebrity endorsement. Peace is a full-time job. It's protecting civilians, overseeing elections, and disarming ex-combatants. The UN has over 100,000 peacekeepers on the ground in places others can't or won't go, doing things others can't or won't do. Peace, like war, must be waged. I found that interesting. Now, when Jesus talks about peacemakers... He's not talking about UN peacekeepers. He's talking about his people, his followers, his disciples, people like you and me. But I thought a number of those things from that video parallel what we are called to do as his people. See, peace is a full-time job. It's an everyday calling for us. Because if there's one thing that is inevitable in all of our lives, it's conflict. Conflict between us and God, conflict between us and others, and conflict between other people in our lives. And as we seek to, to quell these conflicts, we often have to do things that others can't or won't do. It calls for active engagement. It calls for potentially great sacrifice or pain, hard work. As Clooney said, he said, peace, like war, must be waged. Well, Jesus' people are people who wage peace wherever they go and with whomever they're around. I'd ask you to open up at this time to a copy of the scriptures to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Throughout this summer, we've been journeying through the beginning of Matthew 5, looking at Jesus' blessed are statements, or the Beatitudes. 
And many of these verses are probably pretty familiar to you. But I don't know about you, but I have personally found them quite challenging as well. Quite spurring on in my faith. I hope they've been the same for you. They, they really call us to a, a distinct way of life that requires humility, sacrifice, and devotion. And all of us are faced with the choice. Will I follow Jesus here? Will I follow Jesus here? But every one of these statements is not just challenging, it's also everyone is connected to an incredible promise, incredible blessing, that if we are willing to follow Jesus in these ways, we will be blessed beyond our imagination. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me now as we go to God's word? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make us ready to hear from you this morning. We know that you speak through your word to our hearts. And so we pray that you would do that now. Lord, help my words to be your words. Help them reflect your holy word. God, may I, what I say go into people's hearts and may your spirit take that and change it into something supernatural and work transformation in each one of our hearts. Like I said, may we be ready, and may we be sensitive to your spirit, and may we obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading from the beginning of the chapter, so verse 1, it says this. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now that's how far we've gotten so far. And I've proposed to you that as we've gone along, that all of these Beatitudes actually build on each other. That there is a reason that Jesus gave them in this order. The first three, poor in spirit, mourning, and meekness, have to deal with our great need for God. And then verse 6 talks about how the hungry and the thirsty will be filled or satisfied with God. He'll meet our needs and satisfy us. And then the three that follow that have to do with the results of being filled with God. Being merciful, being pure in heart. And then today's, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A couple weeks ago when we looked at verse 8 in the pure in heart, we saw that a pure heart is both a cleansed heart and a fully devoted heart to God. So how does having a pure heart lead to peace, peaceableness, being peacemakers? Colin Smith says this, explains it this way. It says, purity of heart means to will one thing, and a person who has this singleness of purpose will be at peace. 
The impure person, by contrast, has a heart that is fundamentally divided. He or she wants contradictory things at the same time. And as long as that unresolved conflict rages, there can be no peace. The impure person is divided, and that is why he or she will often become divisive. The Bible says there is no peace for the wicked. The wicked cannot have peace because they do not have purity. The more you pursue purity, the more you will enjoy peace, and the more you give way to impurity, the more conflicted and restless you will become. I find that pretty insightful. So in order to, to fully attain the blessing we're going to be talking about today, about of peacemakers, you may need to backtrack a bit and ask God to cultivate a, a holy, devoted heart in you to him. You don't need to have all these previous Beatitudes mastered. <laughs> no way. But as they grow in you, you'll find the later qualities will naturally begin to develop and become far easier for us to grow in. And so... We come to the final beatitude that we are meant to pursue. This is nearly the climax of the mountain that Jesus has been leading us up. Verse 9 is both highly significant and it is highly challenging. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The main point is likely pretty obvious to you. And that's just that God blesses people who strive to make peace. God blesses people who strive to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Last weekend, my family and I went camping. And one of my favorite parts of camping is building campfires. It was fun to start teaching my boys some of the basics of my annual pyromaniac fix. Situating twigs and sticks just right for kindling, and then the logs for burning the fire, and then setting the sparks that will actually start the fire and flame into this nice warm blaze. What does that have to do with peace? Well, listen to this quote from the old Puritan Thomas Watson. He says, Satan kindles the fire of contention in men's hearts and then stands and warms himself at the fire. That's so true. Jesus says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that in, part of that includes stealing peace and destroying relationships. And it's not just the devil we're fighting here. Right? Um, often we're fighting our own flesh. In a world that is cursed by the fall, relational strain is a given. It's inevitable. We, we all have sin inside. And James 4 asked, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So something inside of us is causing a lot of strife in our life. I'm sure you all know what I mean if I were to say that many fires have been started in your heart. Many fires of contention and conflict over the years. Some may be small fires that are easily put out. Some may be larger bonfires. Others may be full-out wildfires. Raging infernos of conflict and tension and contention. So what are we supposed to do with these fires that are started in our hearts? 
Well, that's where Jesus' words come in. Blessed are the peacemakers. We are called to be firefighters. And this is not optional for believers. We are called and commanded to pursue peace. It is our calling. 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, God has called you to peace. And it is a command. Psalm 34.14 says this, and then it's echoed in the New Testament in 1 Peter 3. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. By the way, notice the progression there. Purity of heart and then pursuing peace. Of course, the you know the biblical word for peace is shalom, which is a very rich, robust term. Colin Smith explains that shalom is more than the absence of conflict. And it also includes the active enjoyment of all that is good. So as you think about what you should say and do, consider what would promote the greatest good for your family and church and colleagues, neighbors and friends. That's what's pursuing shalom. Basically, everyone in the world recognizes the value of peace. Even those who are fighting violent wars are seeking to bring about their form of peace. There is something that is deeply embedded in all of us that yearns for shalom. And I believe that is because that is an intrinsic quality of our creator. The one who made us. And our maker is a a God of Peace, And he has designed the world for peace. And even now in our world that, that sin has shattered the shalom, he is guiding the world back to peace. And so we yearn for it. But who are these peacemakers that will be blessed by God? Well, first, this is not talking about people who are naturally more peaceful or quiet than other people. That's not who Jesus is talking about. Neither is he referring to easygoing, phlegmatic, whatever dude, personalities. Nor are these people who make peace at any price or say anything to avoid trouble. But they are people who have become peaceable on the inside and then who seek to actively produce peace and maintain peace on the outside. In any and every context they find themselves in. After all, Jesus doesn't specify when or where to make peace here. Just peacemakers. So this means that we should be peacemakers in our own hearts and minds. Right, making sure that we are personally at peace with God and with our fellow man. We should then be peacemakers in our homes and our families, within our families. If your family is healthy, seeking to keep it that way, to keep the peace. And, or if your family is dysfunctional, seeking to bring harmony or restoring peace to it. As Christians, we should then be peacemakers in the church eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, as Ephesians 4 puts it. Doing whatever you can to not stir up hurt or anger or quarrels or division. And whenever it does flare up, doing whatever we can to put out the flames, 
And finally, we should be peacemakers in our communities, in our city, in our country. If, they, if some of your friends are fighting, doing what you can to, to, to make peace between them. If there's tensions in your neighborhood or your community, seeing what you can do to, to find common ground to step in and try to make peace. In our current cultural climate, this may mean seeking peace between differing political viewpoints or seeking peace in racial reconciliation. There's a, there's a whole host of, of ways that we could pursue peace. But summing up, Hebrews 12, 14 says, to strive for peace with everyone. Everyone. And I love Romans 12, 18. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Before we get into how to apply this principle of, of peacemaking to our lives, Something needs to happen in your life as a prerequisite to this. You need to be at peace with God. That has to happen first. You need to be at peace with God. See, the biggest conflict in your life is not with your parents or your siblings or your friends or your world around you. The biggest conflict in your life is with God. Our list of offenses against Him is astronomical in length. The severity of our crimes is cosmic. And the stakes of not making peace are eternally high. The Bible says that in our natural state we are enemies of God. At war with God. He didn't start the war, but he'll finish the war if he needs to. However, right in the middle of the war, he made a way for peace. And he offers it now to all who will receive. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For in Christ... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. To put it simply, Jesus' death paid the penalty for our crimes so that we can now sign a peace treaty with God. A peace treaty that is signed in blood. His blood. Until you realize this foundational truth, you will never be able to make true peace with others. Because you won't even be at peace within yourself because you're going to be fighting God. And if you have unresolved conflict on the inside, how could you ever offer true peace on the outside? But, as Ephesians 2 says, 
Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, reconciling us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. I love that he himself is our peace. He's peace personified, peace exemplified. Jesus was the original peacemaker. And in order to be a peacemaker like him, you first need to accept his peace. To give up your fight against him. Surrender to his reign. Let me speak to you as a peacemaker today, for a moment, pointing you to that greatest peacemaker. You are at war within your soul. You are at war with God himself. He made you to to walk in fellowship with him as a friend. But you have forgotten him and neglected him and used his gifts against him. Spurgeon once pleaded in a sermon, said, He that made you has become your enemy through your sin, and you are still today hating him and despising his word. You say, I don't hate him. Soul, I charge you then, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, you say, I cannot. I will not do that. Then you hate him. If you loved him, you would keep this his great command. As God's ambassadors, we are charged with offering his proposed peace treaty to others. And so today I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This this morning may very well be your last chance to hear that message. You do not want to come before God's throne as his enemy. But he offers peace. Freely. So I pray to God, I plead with you that you would believe in Christ, surrender your life to him today. Give it all to him. I'd be thrilled to talk more with you about what that means to help you do that, whatever you need. Come find me after the service. We all must make peace with God. And once we do, we can then ask, how do we apply this verse? How do we become peacemakers? Well, first, we should recognize that all true peacemaking is a work of God. We cannot accomplish it apart from him working in us and through us. However, if we have peace with the peace of Christ inside of us, peace will naturally spill out from us. And God obviously encourages time and time again in Scripture to seek peace, to pursue peace, to grow in this. So we're commanded to grow. And the first recommendation I'd have from God's word would be to prayerfully depend on God for peace prayerfully depend 
on God for peace. To bring your own needs for peace and reconciliation to Him in prayer. Ask for His power to be at work in each conflict and fight and estrangement that's going on in you or around you. Also bring others' needs for peace before God. Their greatest need for spiritual peace. Bring that to God. Parents, earnestly pray for your children's souls that they would be at peace with God. Pray for your brothers, your sisters, your, your fathers, mothers, your friends, your peers. And see, in praying for peace, in praying for peace, you are doing business as a peacemaker in the highest court of all. Get that? When you pray for peace, you are doing business as a peacemaker in the courts of heaven. It's possibly the greatest way you can work for peace. Then, as we get to work on the human plane of things, we need to start by noticing the need for peace. In other words, recognize, don't ignore the problems. Recognize the problems around you. Don't ignore them. If we ignore or avoid or suppress the conflict, that usually doesn't solve anything. If anything, it usually just postpones it or it makes it worse. Now, that might sound like something you'd hear from a shrink. But it's also biblical. Okay? Think of God's lament in Jeremiah about false prophets. It says, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. In other words, if there is no peace, it can be disastrous to pretend that there is. We have to notice the problems, recognize them. Once a problem is recognized, peacemakers must then work to move towards the trouble. The UN peacekeepers I spoke about earlier don't go to the most peaceful places on earth. Right? You won't usually see peacekeepers at a resort or a, a peaceful campsite on beaches in the nice first world suburbs. <laughs> you don't see peacekeepers roaming the, the harbors of Halifax, the fields of Saskatchewan. Why not? Because those aren't the places that need them. Those places don't need them. Peacekeepers go where they're needed, and where they're needed is always where there is trouble. For the Christian peacemaker, this analogy holds true. We are to move towards the trouble, to get into the trenches and foxholes and riots and and field hospitals, so to speak. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, To be a peacemaker does not mean you sit in a study and theoretically work out this principle. It is in practice that you prove whether you are a peacemaker or not. We move towards trouble. After all, that is precisely what Jesus did to make peace. Right? He didn't decide to stay in heaven where it's nice and comfortable, glorious, perfect. He moved into our world, even though he knew it would lead him to the cross. Peacemaking isn't avoiding trouble. Sometimes it even causes trouble. Jesus did. He riled a lot of people up. 
but it was all with the ultimate goal of making peace between God and man. This step will almost always require hard work. It definitely requires courage and endurance, perseverance, You may feel that this is beyond your abilities or expertise. You you just don't know how to do this. But there are a a host of biblical principles that can at least help us grow here. From from being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That helps you as you make peace. Humbling ourselves, always being the first to take responsibility or apologize. Using soft words to turn away wrath. Dealing with conflict swift and early before it gets out of hand. Never seeking vengeance or humiliation, but instead reconciliation. Or never, or bringing in neutral third parties as mediators when necessary. Many of these are biblical principles that we can apply to help us grow as peacemakers. Use whatever tools are at your disposal. Get help if you need help. Especially from the Holy Spirit. You're going to need His help. Don't be afraid to fail. Because you won't always succeed. But move towards the trouble. One very practical way that we can put this verse into practice is to share the gospel of peace. To share the gospel of peace. See, the work of evangelism is very much the work of a peacemaker. Seeking the peace of souls. It's really a form of moving towards the trouble. We're moving towards the trouble of sin in everyone's heart. So pray for opportunities every day. And then when those come, take them. Take the opportunities God brings you to share. When we pray for peace, we notice the problems, we move towards the trouble or share the gospel, we then have to be ready to suffer for peace. We have to be ready to suffer for peace. Peacemaking can be a painful and costly enterprise, just as it was for our Savior. If you are involved in a personal conflict, there's the pains of apologies and rebukes. Or if you are, if you move to step into a, a conflict between other people, other parties at odds, the, the truth is, Peacemakers often take abuse from both sides of a conflict. To borrow a powerful picture from Charles Spurgeon on what it means to make peace. Picture two people or groups that are fighting like two boxers or fighters in a ring. Okay, they're, they're going out, they're fighting. You may think of Oscar De La Hoya or Floyd Mayweather, maybe two MMA fighters. Even two hockey thugs going at it on the ice. All right, A peacemaker is someone who steps in to try to break up the fight, so like a referee often does. But if, if they do so, when they do so, they are putting themselves in harm's way, right? in a dangerous spot. They are putting themselves between two people who are trying to hurt each other. Most of us have likely seen videos at times of of a referee trying to break up a fight and getting clocked themselves, right? But if a fight is intense enough, 
There's enough legitimate hatred or hostility in the fight. Those fighters might even take exception to trying to be stopped. They, they want to keep fighting. They're struggling to keep fighting. And in that case, the peacemaker is even greater danger stepping in. Here's how Spurgeon puts it. He says, the peacemaker sometimes puts himself between the two fighters when they are very angry, and he takes blows from both sides. For he knows that so Jesus did, who took the blows from his father and from us also, so that by suffering in our stead, peace might be made between God and man. Do you realize that's what Jesus did? That's what Jesus did by... By going to the cross, he endured both the wrath of God and the fury of man as he made peace between us. As Colin Smith says, Christ moved toward the problem, but when he came, trouble flared. That will often be the experience of a peacemaker. Peacemaking is not for the faint-hearted. It takes courage. It could be the most dangerous job in the world. For Jesus, it meant laying down his life. The only way for escalating cycles of retaliation to be broken is for someone to absorb the pain rather than pass it on. Someone has to say, it stops here. And this is what Christ, the great peacemaker, peacekeeper has done for us. He broke the otherwise endless cycle of violence and vengeance by bearing our sins and absorbing the pain. And now we are called to follow in our Savior's steps, being ready to suffer as he suffered. Being willing to absorb the pain rather than pass it on. Entrusting any vindication we want to God. Are you ready to do that? Do you have the courage Are you willing to step into the ring? Are you willing to to put yourself between others in order to make peace? Some of you may think, that is way too hard for me. And truth be told, you may be right. This may sound like too high of a cost. Too intimidating. Too scary. Too out of reach. You may in fact not be ready to be a peacekeeper yet or a peacemaker yet. But it should be a goal of every believer to at least get there. You may need to back up a few Beatitudes though. May need to, to back up and first learn to crave righteousness or to be merciful to the point that until you can't help but compassionately crave righteousness and peace for others around you. Many of us, though, are at a place that we can and should begin to put this into practice today. So we need to ask the questions. Is there someone who I am not at peace with right now? 
there's someone in, in my life, in your life, where I have broken relationship, where we are strained, and peace needs to be made today? If so, what is one step I can take today towards peace? You're not going to solve it overnight. But what is one step I can take today? Or we can ask, are there people around me that are not at peace? What can I do to step between them, to mediate between them, to make peace? For those ready to step up to the challenge, know this. God promises to bless you greatly. He will make any pain along the way well worth it in the end. How so? Look again at verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Here's how our main point is completed. God blesses people who strive to make peace by making them part of his family. God blesses people who strive to make peace by making them part of his family. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If you do not see how striking this is right away, consider where we started. As outright enemies of God. Sworn enemies. But once peace has been made, we're made sons of God. For a verse that initially implies such hostility, the blessing is a complete reversal of hostility. Think about it. You didn't see American politicians or soldiers adopting bin Laden's orphans. Right? South Koreans would never welcome Kim Jong-un to their family holiday celebrations. It won't happen. Decades ago, Jews didn't go around adopting children of dead Nazis as their own children. Even when peace is made, former enemies don't automatically become good friends, let alone become close enough to be considered family. To be welcome to the family dinner table. To sleep under the same roof. To be invited to be part of a family portrait session. Be given the family name. Identified with them. To be officially, legally adopted, be written into the family will. Believe it or not, that's essentially what God does for us. You may wonder why why Jesus uses the gender-specific term of sons instead of children here. It's not because he was excluding women from this blessing. Not at all. It was a legal term related to adoption and inheritance laws in the Roman world. The, the, the words, the term sons, carry these huge connotations in his day. Related to adoption and inheritance. Whenever someone adopted a child, made them their legal son, that son, male or female, would officially enjoy 
all the privileges, all the obligations, all the inheritance rights of any natural-born children. You couldn't revoke it. It was a done deal. They'd be considered just as much part of the family as someone born into it by blood. And when the time came, they'd receive equal an equal share of any inheritance given. Paul uses the same word in Galatians 3.26 when he says, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So, he's starting to grasp a little bit of the significance of this promise. We are spiritual enemies of God who deserve hell for our crimes. And yet God welcomes us into his family and his eternal heavenly home. We are naturally children of the devil. God's worst enemy. Doesn't matter. God is willing to adopt us as his own sons and daughters. And even, and then even as part of his family. We wouldn't deserve any further blessings beyond that. I mean, just being part of his family is enough. But he says, now you are a full son. You are a full heir with Christ. My only begotten beloved son. He promises to love us as his children in the same way that he loves Jesus. Like any good parent, he then will nourish and nurture and discipline and train and guide us. Make us like him. And when we as his children learn to be peacemakers like him, we experience those blessings of adoption and sonship on an even greater level. It intensifies for us, and this is why he gives the promise here. You all heard the sayings, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, or like father, like son. Same goes for us. When we are born of God, born again into his family, the God of peace becomes our father. John Stott then says, It is hardly surprising, therefore, that the particular blessing which attaches to peacemakers is that they shall be called sons of God, for they are seeking to do what their father has done. We'll be called sons of God, identified as sons of God. Other people will notice the family resemblance. The word called there also has a connotation of being owned. So that God will cherish us as his own possession, as his own sons and daughters. Now, none of this promises an easy, comfortable, peaceful, conflict-free life, does it? In fact, the next beatitude implies that this is precisely when things may get the costliest. But the blessing of being a child of God will far outweigh any cost we may pay now. The peacemakers shall be called sons of God. Do you trust him with that? Allow me to close by reading a few verses from 1 John which I think really tie together a lot of the last few Beatitudes we've studied. So I read these verses, listen for some familiar themes. 
but also listen for the promises that are made here to God's children. Okay? Listen for the promises. Take heart and take courage to go from here as God's peacemakers who wage peace wherever you go. Listen to this. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us the grace to see how glorious these truths are. That we should be called children of God. Give us the eyes to see and trust in you as we wait for your coming. Fill us with the spirit of peace. Help us to reflect your son, the prince of peace. And may we truly experience life as children of the God of peace. You are our father. Help us run to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.